Chapter 19 Eric's mother had not been married a week before the boy understood that his family had become his father's enemies. He realized this through little things they said softly to each other when they thought he was absorbed in his toys. And, from the way the neighbors looked at him, he could see that the hostility was general. Before he could adjust himself to this attitude, another new experience was thrust upon him. He became a pupil in a school that was founded by his new father. He was seven years old, and he heard them say it was time they started shaping his life. His fellow students were the sons of Bonders, who had heard tales of what was happening in the rest of Christendom and foresaw a future in which a priest would have more power than a warrior. It seemed to them that their sons might somehow become priests too, if only they could gain some of that lore which Theobrand possessed. They wanted them taught the cryptic arts of reading and writing, to which they attributed the magical properties they had always thought were in runes, and Latin too, which sounded, since they did not know its meaning, like an incantation. Eric did not like the school. He wanted to be with his father, but no one knew that. The Sea King had been a better teacher than Theobrand could ever be. He had taught Eric guile. Be like the wind. When it is quiet, no one knows when it will blow. He was furious because the guest house, his guest house, was turned into a classroom, but no one knew that either. It was the first change in the place which Theobrand had made, and when he lectured, he sat in the Sea King's high seat. The school was of a very ancient sort, whose form had come to them through Greece and Galilee. Its pupils were called disciples, and its teacher was called the master. It was late in reaching Iceland because the rest of Europe was so far away. On the continent, for several centuries, old priests had been teaching what knowledge there was to young priests, so that by now they had it all. The rest of mankind, except for an occasional king, wallowed in a dark age, dependent on their churchmen for such information as they chose to dispense. This gave rise to a belief, strange for such a religious day, that because churchmen were then the only men able to read the Bible, no one else should ever be allowed to, but should only hear about it, from them, forever. Theobrand taught his young disciples what he himself had learned from his bishop. A little Latin, a little logic, a little arithmetic, a little geography, and a great deal of holy writ. The Latin was not the classic tongue of Caesar, but the polluted speech of medieval Rome. The logic stemmed from Aristotle, but concerned itself only with the manner in which one should think about God. The arithmetic dealt with simple practical facts, like the collection of taxes or how many cheeses would stock the larder of an abbey. The geography described a world that was flat and round like a plate, 
and which lay between up, where heaven was, and down, where hell was. Holy Writ was complete, detailed, massive, to be learned and never questioned. They were taught a new word which came from Greece, heresy. They also had much to unlearn. Theobrand explained to them that the gods of Asgard were really devils. He did not say that they had no existence. That would have been too much to attempt so soon. He first sought only to disparage them. They have been defeated by our god because he is bigger and stronger than they are. He is the great god, the divinity. We name him that because there is a root in our sacred Latin language which means god. Div. But Odin and Thor and Frey are only little gods, whom we therefore call Divels. How marvelous, this miracle which God was wrought with words, by which we recognize these demons as Diabolos, the great tempters of holy writ. Shun them, throw holy water on them, make the sacred sign at them. If anyone says to you that troll rocks, or death mounds, or temple pillars can cure wounds, he lies, and you must curse him, though he be your own father. They are but stones in earth and wood. Miraculous cures can be worked only by touching this cross, or the bones of dead saints. To the little boys who had to sit quietly while they listened and learned, the school became a woeful burden as soon as its novelty wore off. They were the first of many thousands of little boys, who from then onward through musty centuries would chant Latin verbs indoors and never, never again be able to give all their time to imagining a rock into a ship or themselves into sea kings. Nothing would be left of that earlier school, wherein they had romped their way to an earlier form of knowledge, but little glimpses they might catch as they stared wistfully out at it through windows. It seemed to Eric, during one of the Latin lessons, that Theobrand was taking a sort of mean pleasure in making him say, Sum es est, sum es est, sum es est, over and over, far oftener than the other boys, though he thought he was saying it the same way they did. Theobrand was not doing it through malice. It had occurred to him, while Eric recited, that his brooding little face was very much like his father's, the man in whose place Theobrand had stepped. At that moment, he felt his first dim, passing dissatisfaction with what he had done with his life. But he hurriedly assumed it was dissatisfaction with Eric's Latin and made him say it again. Sum es est. Sum es est. Sum es est. That brought him another quick, uneasy daydream about what he had done, followed by another furtive questioning of his own wisdom and another reluctance to know what was annoying him. No, he said, there's still something wrong. Again. Sum es est. Sum es est. Sum es est. The truth was growing in Theobrand's soul, and he could not hide it forever. It was revealed to him suddenly. 
He woke up beside Helga one morning, about a month after they were married, and realized that he'd had enough of her. He saw with the clarity of sudden surfeit that his desires had been of the flesh. To a pagan, such as he once was, that objection would have been unthinkable, for pagans liked fleshly pleasure and never pretended of anything else. Not so this advocate of the spirit. He could not admit that the claims of the body had any validity. He had to hate what he had been liking. I have sinned, he muttered. I have let a demon get into me. That was a terrible disaster to bring upon oneself. Demons were whatever was liked by the heathen, whether it was appetites or gods. They were small and furry, with sharp claws, and flew down your throat when your mouth opened to utter evil. After that, whenever you had a sinful thought, such as lust or rage, you could hear the demon gurgling within you. Atone and drive him out. While he thus translated into religious terms his anger against himself for being a fool, he knew, under all his twisted thinking, exactly what had happened. He had built up a mighty hunger in his years in a hermit's cave. Helga had eased it, but he had paid too high a price. He added up the items, as if casting an account. He was the husband of a fading woman who no one else would marry. He had doubtless made her pregnant so that his child would have Eric for a half-brother. An odious tie. She was a simpleton, now that he looked at her without desire, who had just enough guile to trap another simpleton, like himself. She had brought him almost no dowry. Hardest of all to bear, if he had only waited for the coming of Olaf, that grateful king would have given him any wife he chose as a reward for converting the island. An earl's daughter, or Olaf's own foster sister in Novgorod. Fool, fool, fool. And scoundrel, too, for leaving the path of virtue, which would have led straight to heaven. Well, someone would pay for it. Or, as he said to himself while he lay beside Helga that morning, atonement must be made for the great sin that had been committed. Thinking over this need for atonement, he decided that the sin was as much hers as his, more, and that a large part of the penance must be done by her. Since they had been so eager to have him in their family, then this was their joint sin to be visited on every member of it. Yes, please God, upon that son of hers, he remembered Helga's words immediately before the wedding. This is your new father, Eric. He laughed, though he did not know why he found it amusing, and almost waked her as he said aloud, Very well, Eric, my son. My sins are your sins, too. It is my duty to see that you suffer for them. In the pursuance of this duty, he found a new enthusiasm. He exacted the fullest atonement from both mother and son. Life in the household became a round of fasting, praying, and personal revilement. They were made to say, so often that the sounds ceased to have any meaning, It is my fault. It is my fault. It is my fault. 
When they asked what it was they had done, he told them darkly that they were especially evil in thus denying their sin. When their heads ached and their stomachs were sick from being long without food, he said it was Beelzebub refusing to depart from within them and decreed more fasting still to starve the fiend out. They prayed until their knees were sore, and if they uttered the slightest complaining word, they must pray yet once again. To do him a kind of justice, he was even more severe with himself than with them. He outprayed them, outfasted them, and in addition beat himself with a hazel rod, wood being what the cross was made from. However, the effect on him and on them was not the same. Aside from his greater physical strength, he had a support which was denied them. He was reliving, avidly, his old ascetic life in the Scilly Islands, where he had been protected from the world. Poor, simple Helga could not understand what had happened to him. His sudden, venomous onslaught took her by surprise. He so bedeviled her that she rushed about hysterically to do his bidding, only pausing now and then to worry about her son. At such times, Theobrand would tell her it was for the sake of Eric's soul and add ominously that she had better save her own. Convinced that everything he said was true, because she loved him, she would let herself be reassured and tell Eric to do as his dear new father said. Eric's very presence mocked him. It is my punishment that I have another man's leavings, he thought morosely. Eric's father had possessed Helga when she had youth and freshness. It passed from her in giving birth to Eric. Eric had it now. It leered at him when he saw the boy. The vitality which the boy had, because he was seven years old, was a galling reminder of a younger Helga, now forever beyond reach. He felt that Eric was being purged of sin when that wicked young glow began to fade and holy pallor to take its place. Theobrand set him difficult mental exercises in addition to his heavy schoolwork. He ordered him to memorize scripture passages of monstrous length, though it took all of a day and well into the night. Nor was Eric allowed to sleep, or even nod until he could repeat it all without error. Then, sobbing and racked, he would fall asleep exhausted, and his mentor was gratified that the sacred text had been absorbed by this erring little soul. But the dreams that came to the agonized sleeper might have alarmed Theobrand had he known of them. They were dreams of the endless tales of scripture that had been learned, but only and always of those that dealt with killing. How Cain killed Abel how Samson killed the Philistines, how Judith killed Holofernes, how the angel of death killed the firstborn of Egypt, and at last, as if it were in scripture too, how Eric killed Theobrand. The boy remembered that dream when he awoke, thinking it was one of the tales he had memorized, but it confused him. He was not sure whether the story of how Eric killed Theobrand was something that had been done or something he was required to do. 
a personage named Odin had somehow got into it. He was no longer sure who Odin was. The new things he was being taught were driving the old ones out of his head, and he didn't want to do great amounts of remembering. He wanted to play, and they wouldn't let him. He tricked everybody and played after all. It was a game which he thought he had invented. He called it heating. The part of it that was really his own making was the way he found time for it without seeming to neglect his tasks. He managed to play secretly at hating Theobrand, even while he did his heavy penances and studied his heavy lessons. To do it well, he had to learn a new trick, thinking of two things at once so that one of them would not take up the whole time. He started by thinking the two thoughts alternately using his Latin as one of them. Sum es est. I will kill him. Sumus estis sunt, with a spear. Erum eres eret. I will turn the spear around. Eramus eretis erent, in the wound. This did not wholly please him because there was always a little pause where the two thoughts met. This made him seem to be taking a little longer with his lesson than was usual, bringing extra penances for his relentless schoolmaster. He could have given up his secret game, but he was a stubborn little boy and learned instead to do the whole thing faster. He accomplished this by thinking the two alternating thoughts as if they were really one long but increasing the speed. That left the pauses out and took this kind of form. Come Caesar in Gallia, clitiori esit. I will let the pigs, ut supra demonstravumus, eat his face. With practice, there ceased to be any loss of time at all, and Theobrand had no idea what Eric was doing. But disaster was sure to follow such mixed thinking, as it did. Theobrand always made a point of sarcastically holding him up to the other boys as a model of scholarship, calling him to recite before them all, and then pounding on the mistakes, which too little sleep and too much work made inevitable. The joke was not lost on the others because of their master's ironical tone and was made more delicious by Eric's being the butt in his own house. His evil moment came when he was called upon, as an example of his extracurricular industry, to recite the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. His vagrant thoughts of hatred and revenge, on which he was secretly feasting, had at last summoned forth distinct memories of Odin, from whom hatred and revenge spring. And when Theobrand's sardonic voice suddenly smote him, things ran together and he told the tale thus. The Lord said unto Lot, Ka, ka, Hugin and Munin, go now and take nothing with you. Ka, 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 and look not back lest you die. Die, die, die with a spear in your heart. I give you to Odin. His horrified teacher stared at him for a breathless, unbelieving instant. Then, as the other boys gave a delighted scream of laughter, he snatched him clear of the floor with one of his great hands and slapping him viciously with the other, 
whisked him from the room. He carried him, flailing him all the way to the room where Helga sat beside her tapestry frame, making pious pictures. Here is your son, he shouted, shoving him towards her so violently that Eric stumbled and almost fell. He must be punished so that he never repeats what he has just done. Helga, turning pale, asked what happened. A demon has entered him, cried Theobrand. His voice nearly broke, so full of fierce joy was he in having caught Eric in a sin. He has dared, he said, to join God's name with that of a heathen devil. He pointed sternly at Eric. He is your son. Beat him. Helga covered her face, trembling and sobbed. No. You must, he insisted. It is your duty. She kept her hands on her face and went on saying no. She was a timid, gentle thing who had never hit anyone. He pulled her hands down and said, you must, with his face close to hers, repeating it as she continued to say no. Her voice grew weaker along with her will, and she obeyed him at last, striking Eric a faint little blow. But it was a blow, faint or not, and all three of them knew it and became silent. Eric spoke first. He looked straight into Theobrand's face and said, My father will kill you. With that, he began to cry and ran out of the room. Theobrand was after him instantly, not in anger but in hope. If Leif really was returning, Olaf's fleet would be here soon, if Eric knew for certain. He caught up with him near the outer doorway, where the boy was standing on a chair trying to lift a huge spear from its bracket on the wall. He put his arms about Eric, almost caressing him, and set him back on the floor. Don't be angry at me, he said. I was only playing games with you.